You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I am interviewing Mr. Ryan Scott. Ryan is a former elementary teacher and former principal at the elementary who is currently serving as an assistant principal at the Webster County Board of Education in Dixon, Kentucky. Ryan shares with us some of the ways relationships have impacted him as a person and as a principal. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super pumped today to get my guy, Ryan Scott, on the show. Ryan, welcome to the show, sir. Welcome, man. Thank you. Absolutely, man. I'm glad we're finally making this happen. So just like every episode, we always want to preach and teach connections before content. We're going to do that in the GTKY format with the flip five. So I'm going to ask five questions to Ryan. Ryan's going to flip five back to me, starting number one, Ryan. Simple question. What's the one app on your phone that you go to and you use every single day? One app. Duolingo. What is it? So Duolingo is an app that you learn a language. I grew up speaking Spanish, uh, learned it in high school, learned it in college, played a little bit of uh, soccer in a Hispanic soccer league. So I picked up all the bad words. (laughs) And then when I got a little older, I found that I really loved my Latinx kids. um, And I really, really loved to talk to them. So over COVID, I made it a point. I actually bought the app. And then I've been spending about 15 to 20 minutes every day doing it. Awesome, brother. Um, yeah, uh, growing up in San Antonio, uh, grew up in Hispanic culture, language, um, took two years in high school, cleft out of nine hours in college. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was fluent, but pretty good at it. And then when you don't use it, you lose it. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so that's, thanks for the uh, suggestion. I have to look into that. All right. Question number two. If I'm coming to your hometown, where are you taking me? Okay. Henderson, Kentucky. So Henderson, uh, right on the river. It's actually a stop. So John James Audubon, who is a prolific nature artist, lived there. But a good buddy of mine owns a killer pizza place called Rock House Pizza. And then they also own Henderson Brewery Club where uh, they make some phenomenal beers. So I would absolutely take you for uh, beer and pizza. Woo, I'm, I'm, man, I'm excited. Awesome. <laughs> Question number three. Okay, so um, favorite, I, I know you like to work out, but what is your favorite way to work out? What's, what do you, like you lift and running? Uh, what are you doing, CrossFit? What's your favorite way to work out? So um, right now it's kettlebells. Okay. Uh, I follow Eric Legia who's actually from Austin, Texas. He is a, uh, I think he's a level one kettlebell trainer. And he also has put out this app, um, but he also has all kinds of really good Instagram stuff, but he's got this phenomenal, um, which I'm almost 40 now. So I'm starting to do more mobility things so that hopefully when I'm 50 and 60, I can still walk. Gotcha. Yeah. One time I did a, well, I think it was a 10,000 kettlebell swing challenge one time, I think. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I think something like that. All right, question number four. All right, it, based on where you're at right now in education, if you could recommend a resource, a software, a book, what's one thing that you would shout out to educators that they need to check out in education right now based on your experience? Okay, right now. And the reason I'm saying this, uh, I am helping to, to lead a uh, book study with my staff on Relentless by Hamish Brewer. And um, if you have not had the pleasure of listening to that dude talk, holy cow, phenomenal. I mean, he's all about relationships, just a phenomenal principal in Virginia. Okay. And last question, if you could interview anyone on my show, who would you interview? Does it have to be education related? Nope, it could be anybody. Who you want to interview? All right, if I could interview anybody. Wow, that's a good one. I think I would want to interview, and I don't know why I'm going to say this, but Ice Cube. Ice Cube. There you go. Like I was, I, I was listening to him. Maybe, maybe it's because I was listening to him in the gym at five o'clock this morning. We'll talk about your morning routine later. Yes, <laughs> five o'clock morning stuff. All right, brother, that's five. You got five for me. Let's flip them back. All right, man. I, I put some thought into these. All right. If you could spend a day with anyone in history, who would it be? Hmm. Elvis Presley. Ooh. I'm an Elvis fan. All big right. time, big time All growing right. up. I wanted to be Elvis. Nice. I've got a got a kid here. His name's Suede, and his nickname is uh, Lovingly Blue Suede Shoes. <laughs> love it. If you could live in any movie, which one would you live in? Hmm. Live in any movie? Uh, oh, man. I, I will just tell you, like, one of the movies is um, um, Shawshank Redemption. Not that I want to live in prison and all that, but that's just a, God, that's a great story. Great movie. So I'll go with that one. Yeah, I watch that one once a year. All right. Mullets, cool or ridiculous? Oh, my God. I would have to, uh, well, it it depends on what era, because I'm going to have to say it used to be cool because he used to have one. I used to be a bull rider. I used to do bull riding. I used to do sheet metal insulation in new homes. I oh, was living yeah. I was living in Aurora, Colorado. Had the cowboy hat, the, the yeah, 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 definitely. It was cool at one time. Now, um I don't know if they'll make a comeback. I certainly can't I can't cr- recreate one right now, so I'm, I'm certainly in a bind, but yeah, cool cool at one time. Hey, actually, I, in high school at least here, they are coming back. That's what I heard. I I have heard that they're you know, everything makes a comeback, but yes, the yeah. mullet, yeah. All right, which superhero would you be? Uh, Superman. All right. And if you could have five extra minutes a day, what would you do with it? Oh, my God, Ryan. Play with my dogs. Five extra minutes. Just play with the dogs. I get three dogs, three Australian Shepherds. So five minutes. Yeah. No, dog time. You can always use enough dog time. I'd I'd take that over five minutes of sleep any day. There you go. All right, brother. Hey, man, thanks for the good question. So these are the GTKY format. Just get to know you just like that, teachers. Um, So educators, again, reaching out to us. Uh, If you'll head over to rclfirst.com, you have two options now. You can either download the PDF of the GTKY questions, or you can sign up to join our circle time. We are doing circles, and you don't have to participate in a circle. You don't have to know what a circle is, but we are hosting circles Monday evenings, Thursday evenings, Saturday mornings, and these are just three opportunities to 
to connect with other educators. All you do is click on the link. There's a link in orange that says join the circle time. Click on it. It gives you a Zoom link. You show up on which day you want to show up and then just join the conversation with other educators. And it's as simple as that. And you'll find all of that information out at rclfirst.com. So that's out of the way. All right, Ryan. So I want people to get to know you. I want to get to know you better. I know you through chats and through a couple messages, one phone call, things through the men's and edge, but ultimately I want people to know who you are as a person, but as an educator. So we'll start with that generic question. Okay, Ryan, what got you in education? Okay. So this, this is, I will give you the abbreviated, well, I'll give you the middle sized version. So uh, pretty much I was hopelessly lost in life probably from about 16 till uh, 22 when I became a father very unexpectedly. And I quickly learned, kind of quickly learned that life was not all about me. Um, That was kind of, I like to say my oldest daughter was my angel that kind of gave me purpose. And uh, in doing so, or becoming a dad, I I quickly figured out that I had to get my stuff together. So um, I started thinking about things that I really liked. Um, And at that time I was coaching soccer. I had worked as a seasonal naturalist at a state park um, doing science activities with kids. So I knew I liked kids and selfishly, I loved I loved to say this. I got into teaching because I wanted the summers off. (laughs) Like I'm serious. I did. Well, no, I I just, I just appreciate the honesty. The fact that I'm serious. Yeah. My mom was an educator and I knew that education was great for families And so, you know, here I am getting ready to be a dad. I'm like, you know, I need something that's good for families. Um, I knew, you know, because I had been around it my whole life. So initially, um, the community college had a early, it was an elementary degree program. And at the time I was bartending and I met a dude who uh, happened to give me some free money to go to the community college and it's really funny looking back how God had a hand. I, I, like, I truly believe it got me into this profession. And, and so I like to say I got in for the summers off and uh, stuck around for, for a lot more than that. Nice. So currently, will you give an update of where, like, so once you got into it, give everybody just an update on kind of your background and where you're at, where you currently are at now in your position. Yeah, sure. So I did... Uh, 10 years at the elementary level. Um, I taught everything from kindergarten through fifth grade. Absolutely loved, loved, loved teaching kindergarten. Um, Then I became an elementary principal for two years. And now, let's see, this is my second year as an assistant principal at a high school here in Dixon, Kentucky. We are in Webster County, um, Godland. Yeah, so that's where I'm at now. Okay. I got to ask you this question. What? Okay. When I, okay. I spent two years at the elementary as an, as an assistant principal. When I go into kindergarten classes, it's either fun or there's anxiety. I mean, there's like, like a combination of the both for me. So I got to ask like, what for you, what made it fun? What, what for you was like great at, for being a kindergarten teacher? Like help me understand that. Like you have complete license to be just nuts. Like you can be like, I sang every day. I walked on tables. We threw balls around the room, but also, I mean, kindergarten is where that stage where kids like you see a light bulb moment every single day. 
you see so much growth from kindergarten, from the beginning of the year till Christmas. And it's just, it's crazy. Okay. So what was one thing though, because everybody struck, what was the one struggle about being a kindergarten teacher? So um, I am not a, I don't deal well with puke or bodily fluids. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, vi- so like I turned to my kindergarten assistants every single time when my kid had a runny nose or needed to throw up, you know, those types of things, even though I have four kids of my own, mm-hmm. like I can't deal with the body fluids. Okay. All right. So <laughs> I, I just had to ask. That's good. Um, you know, the, I always tell people, this was for me. The one thing I did love about being at the elementary, Ryan, is, is like coming from the high school and then going down versus your switch. You, you're going the other way. Right. When I came down, you know, at the high school, you know, I was a coach, uh, t- taught science, secondary for 10 years. I made connections, but it was high fives. Hey, Coach Curtis, how are you? Hey, John, how are you, Ryan? Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then when I got to the elementary, particularly kinder and first, right, early childhood, up to even second, you, you would come into the room and you're like a flipping rock star. Absolutely. You know, and so I would come into the room and I, and I would get like, oh, Mr. Curtis, and, you know, the, all these knee hugs, right? Knees and, and, and shin hugs. And, and it was interesting because I remember earlier I mentioned about my dogs, but if I walked out of your room, Ryan, and I had to come back in and tell you something again, it was like, it was just like my dogs are like, Mr. Curtis, we like, we yeah. just see you 30 seconds ago, but we, we're going to be just as excited. I, I never, ever was like, I'm a flipping rock star down here. We're at the high school. They're, 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 you're not a rock star. Hey, buddy. You're like, hey, Coach Curtis. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you. Yeah. And so the one thing I really loved and appreciated was the energy and the passion for connections from kids. And so do you feel like when you were working with early childhood kids, do you feel like, was it easier or harder to make connections with the little ones? Man, I'm going to be 100%, 100% honest. I really thought coming to high school, it would be hard. It's not. Like, like these high school kids are longing so much for just somebody to sit and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, sit, somebody just to sit, number one, to validate their feelings. And, and I'm guilty as a parent of a 17-year-old girl. You know, sometimes we are guilty of telling our kids, like, what do you know about life? What do you know about problems? And our kids have very real problems. Um, as somebody who struggled with severe depression in high school, I just wanted a teacher that would say, hey, you know, if you're having one of those days, come to me and, mm. and let's just talk. So I think at the high school level, it's different. Um, you know, as a kindergartner, their behavior comes out as behavior, you know, Mm-hmm. At the high school level, it can come out in two ways, either as behavior or hopefully you channel it into communications and conversations. Right, right. So, so again, I have no script, but let's go there for a second, Ryan, if you don't mind. So you, oh, you, you, you struggled you, with, I, I, I guess, identifying with yourself through depression in high school as a student? Absolutely, yeah. So what was like for, for people who don't struggle with that, because I don't, but, but my daughter does, my daughter, she's 29. She struggles with anxiety and depression, but I know it's different for everything. So what were some signs and symptoms for you when you were in high school, when you were dealing with those episodes or, or just those feelings? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, outwardly I was really good at hiding it. I was uh, student council president. I played soccer on the high school soccer squad 
uh, made good grades, but I was very much into drugs and very much into, I was into cutting and doing other types of self-harm, you know, and it didn't really, I don't really know where it came from, Mm -hmm. but it really hit me hard at 16. Hmm. Um, It really like manifested itself just that, like that learned helplessness, that loss, like I didn't know, you know, what I wanted to do. I didn't know what the next day would be like. I, I can remember sitting in my vehicle, listening to Deftones, turned all the way up just to drown out like your feelings, hmm. you know, and I don't know where it came from. Sure. No, I, yeah. And I wouldn't even try to diagnose that. So when, and it's interesting because, you know, when you described yourself, Ryan, you, you, on the outside, everybody saw the good grade, good athlete, good student, you know, who may have done some other things, but ultimately you weren't falling apart. Right. No, no. And so what, what was there an educator or something that happened in your life during high school that helped you transition through high school with those symptoms and those, those things going on? Was there a connection or a relationship or was there something that any educator did to help you cope with that as you were going through high school? So I had an awesome, phenomenal high school soccer coach who's actually still at that school 20 years later. He was just no nonsense. You knew he cared about you, um, but he wasn't afraid to put you through the ringer at practice if you said something stupid. I know, To this day, I can pick up the phone and call him and ask his advice for something. There was also a gentleman who was our advanced biology teacher who I played soccer with his son. His wife was a middle school teacher that I had the privilege of having. And, and I can remember one day him just looking at me and he saw through all the bullshit. Like mm-hmm. he saw through all, and he just said, Ryan, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, what, what are you going through? Cause I can see something is going on. You're in here, you know, you're cutting up, you're acting like everything, but it, but it's not okay. Um, and I also had an English teacher. Um, at that time I was real into writing poetry and all my poems were really, really dark mm-hmm. and I would turn them in and she would, asked me what's going on. And I didn't really give lots of detail, but I knew she knew what was going on. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, it's interesting because sometimes the educators that are, let's just say in tune with us, they, they can see right through it, right? They can see right through the masquerade of, of, of what you're acting like on the outside, but they can see something on the inside in there's been so, there's not so many, but there's been a handful of kids through my career that I'm like, I know what I see on the outside and I know what you're portraying, but you have it, you have it inside of you and they just don't know what it is, right? Most of us don't when somebody says you have it. So I, I, I love the fact that you had those handful of educators and people in your life that were helping you at least acknowledge, yeah. right? whether it was bullshit or not, or whatever it is, right? The, the right. way you're acting, the choices that you're making. But but the fact that you had people holding you accountable. So I'm just going to ask you, how did you transition through high school? Were you successful eventually on working through that? And, you know, and then, you know, like, in other words, do you still struggle with depression today? Uh, I struggle more with anxiety. Okay. Yeah, it's not depression. It's more of, you know, am I good enough? That kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. And the one thing that, I had to 
really, really digest and starting to understand like what is anxiety? Because not that I don't struggle. That's not the choice. I'm saying I don't struggle with worrying or anxiousness or those types of things. And so, again, one of the things, my daughter struggling with anxiety and depression, and then the people on my team and the people in my personal life that struggle with anxiety or depression or both, I have multiple people that I'm very close with that struggle with it. And what was interesting for me, Ryan, is, is it... You talk about God at work. It's like God surrounded me with these anxious people and all of a sudden it clicked for me. And now I can say, hey, anxiety is real. Yeah. Now, I may not feel it. I, you know, I don't, I can't say that I'm in your shoes. And yeah. that's one thing I tell them. I, I, I don't know what it feels like, but I know whatever you're feeling is real. And me coming back and telling you, no, it's not get over it or, you know, whatever is not going to make it any better. And so I, I can just tell you, I am thankful that at 51, I am starting to recognize that even if I may have not struggled with those exact depression, anxiety, or any OCD, any of those things, right, that they are real for those people. And I think as you said earlier, your students just want to be heard. Well, those people that struggle with anxiety or depression or anything else, they just want to feel validated. Like you just acknowledge that it exists. I don't need you to fix it. That's not what you're here for. So is, am I on the right path? When, oh, is that how it works for you? Absolutely. Um, kind of to take it in a different kind of in a, in a, in a direction. I kind of live by the mantra perception is reality. Very much so. Even if we don't understand if this person is feeling this way, that is the reality and we're not going to be able to change it and we shouldn't change it. You know, it's, right. it's the same thing. If I've got a 15 year old in my room and you know, they broken up with some girl or something. Yeah. We might think it's comical. We know they're going to get through reality, but at that point of their life, that is the most important thing. That is their reality. And we are put there to get them through that, not to judge and to say, oh, it's not a big deal, you know? No, I, I yeah, no, I, trust me, you know, um, I won't go deep into this because I don't want to dominate the show, but trust me, Ryan, I was 18 years old with two girls pregnant at the same time. So when you talk about a reality, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. That, that was a reality that I had to to grow through. But But let's switch this. Okay, so let's, Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, first yeah, of all. Thank you. Thank you. Because I know for some people that's easier, but first of all, I'm glad to get to know you a little bit more on a personal basis and get to know that you, you were struggling that. And, and I think you've heard my story. I mean, I grew up in drugs and alcohol. Sorry. I just did them earlier. I started smoking at nine cocaine at 12 and then dabbled it through middle school. And it wasn't until my middle school coaches, ironically coaches again, right. That were like, Hey, you're strong. You're smart. You're fast. Um, I started shaving in the sixth grade. I hit puberty early, uh, probably from all the drugs. Yeah. Um, but but my point was, is that, you know, I, I was making choices, not, and here's what's interesting, right? I wasn't making choices to hide. I was making choices because this is what I needed to do to participate in my siblings, to interact with my family, AK, yeah. not, my, not my parents. My parents never touched this, to be around with my brothers and my sister, right? But what's interesting is, and I will tell you this before I said I want to get off of this and I stuck here. I will tell you this. Um, I've often reflected later in life 
because I gave that stuff up early in my teens is I don't ever felt, I can't ever recall saying, man, I really need to smoke or I need to snort a line or I, you know what I mean? Something I don't remember ever saying like I craved it or I was hiding from something. In other words, for me, it was simply a social interaction versus yeah. something that, that right. gave me some type of feeling to disappear or hide or turn off the noises or things like that. So right. I, I don't, I never recalled any of those scenarios on why I was choosing to participate in it. Hence why I've never really gone back to it because it never really drew me in to begin with. So I'm really sure. blessed that the only thing I always tell people, the only thing I'm really strong to drawn to is, is like chocolate and sweets. Like that, <laughs> that, that to me is like, there's, there'll be a chocolate Twinkie or chocolate cake. That's really calling my name. You know, that, that, that has more power over me than any other drug I think is, is sugar. But, but with that said, Ryan, thanks for sharing that. So, so let's go here. All right. When you, we, we, we talked about the reverse of our roles. I went from the high school to the elementary. You went from the elementary to the high school. Now, what for you, what were some of the differences that stood out? They could be positives or negatives, but what were some of the differences between the two levels that stood out for you as an educator? So I would say the first thing, well, first thing, I was, normally I was taller than all of my students in elementary. High school, I am not. I would also say at the high school level, and I know you've talked about this, but there is a much bigger focus on the content sure. than the relationships. Absolutely. Um, I would also say high school is much more, what are we doing to get those kids life ready? Gotcha. I, uh, I feel like elementary is more of what are we doing to get those kids middle school ready? Okay. You know, prepared for the next, the next Absolutely. round. Yeah. Absolutely. Gotcha. So being an administrator at the elementary and being forget principal and assistant principal administrator, right? right. Being a leader on an elementary campus and let's, and, and I want to go here for a second. And how was it leading staff at the elementary versus leading staff at the high school? Cause I have my own impression and I will be glad to share it. But what, what are some of the things you've seen difference between leading staff at those two different levels? Personally, at the elementary level, um, I felt like I had, I could talk about content because I had been there for so long. Okay. I, I felt like I really, like one of my specialties is teach, teaching kids to read. Like I understand it front and back. I love it. I love phonics. I love number sense. I love that early content stuff. Okay. So at the elementary level, I felt like I could be more of a uh, content driven, uh, you know, leader at the high school level. I don't have any of that. And I'm very honest. Like I know nothing about your content. I'm not going to talk to you about your content, but what I do know is engagement and relationships. Okay. And so when I come into your room, um, number one, I'm never judging you, but if I come in your room, what I'm looking at is how many kids are engaged and how are your relationships with your kids? So that's kind of the difference. But then I'd also say relationships are way harder to push at high school. Just the value of relationships. Sure. Than they are at the elementary level. The elementary I taught in, uh, we had some, it was, you know, I, I, you may know there's urban poor and there's rural poor. Yes, sir. And my one elementary I taught in prior to becoming a principal was 97% free and reduced lunch. I went to my school where I was the leader and it was only 74%. 
And I really thought, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. But what I didn't realize the difference between urban and rural poor and that our, um, our rural poor, we had kids that were living on an old army base in old army barracks that were dirt floors, you know, had, they were living with grandparents, living with great grandparents. And, and so I think the teachers really saw that more. So the relationships, they understood it's poor, it's important at the elementary level. Um, I feel like at the high school level, we expect them to be adults. We see them as adults. We kind of act like it's college already. So we kind of forget about the importance of, you know, that, that they are just kids. Gotcha. So if you, if you had somebody that was sitting in front of you and said, Hey, I want to be a leader at the elementary. What, what would be a few things that you would say, take into consideration or like, Hey, let me give you some advice. What would be a, a one or two pieces of key advice for being a leader at the elementary? If somebody was sitting in front of you, uh, go slow, go slow. Um, I came into a school that, um, loved the school, but I came into a school that had um, no writing curriculum, no reading curriculum, no math curriculum, no PBIS. There were a lot of things that were lacking and being the problem solver that I was, I tried to go in and put too many wheels on at once. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And um, elementary teachers, and maybe it's just, maybe it's all teachers. um, Change needs to be slow. Change needs to be you know, you need to make sure that you're looking at the five-year vision and taking it slow. Also making sure that at the elementary level, don't be afraid to hug. Hug those kids, man. Those babies need hugs every day. Um, and develop partnerships in your community. Okay, that's good. So if I piggyback off what you say, for me, the, and, and I'm going to kind of have fun, but, but the difference, everything you said, I agree with as far as differences, the way I, the way I first, and I'm going to just be really brutally honest. When I first came to elementary, I'm like, these teachers are really needy. Like they need a lot. Like they need a lot of, they need a lot of coaxing. Like you just said, which hints is don't change a lot on us because that's going to require too much for us. Right. And so for me, I hope that didn't come out as negative. In other words, I'm saying they just need a lot more than the secondary yeah, teacher in, compar- in comparison. So please, I'm hoping that nobody God makes a comment and says, oh my God, I <laughs> I, that's not what I meant. Don't take it out of context. In comparison to the high school teachers, they're a little bit more self-sufficient. You know, again, uh, and, and it kind of goes with what you're talking about. They're, they're kind of in silos. They teach on content. Um, they don't need as much from them. In fact, at the high school, sometimes teachers really don't want anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're all almost on the other end of the spectrum. Like we don't really need anything from you. Don't just bother us. Alone. Yeah. Don't just leave me alone. We're at the elementary. I really liked it because I got to be more hands-on. I got to help teachers grow in curriculum or grow in a certain, if we were bringing a PBIS or, or, or a new sure. phonics program, I, I, you know, I, I got to be a part of that process. And so I believe, and I tell people this all the time when they ask me about my leadership journey, I am really thankful that I spent two years at the elementary before ever going anywhere else, because it gave me a vision of the foundation of what education is started. It starts at, right? So when I interviewed, if I could give, and I'll give, I'll, I'll throw one more piece out. If you're ever interviewing and you're coming from the secondary going down to the elementary, 
one thing that I said in the interview, and this was, this was not a, a hoax or a line, but you have to make them realize, right? Like, why should you choose me? Because here's the deal. I knew I was in district, but I knew I was the only secondary person interviewing for that elementary assistant principal job. And so I told the committee, I know that every single person that you interview is probably going to be elementary. So let me tell you why I think you should consider a secondary person. And I said, because when you look at the kaleidoscope of education, right, and you look at that line and you look down it, I said, all your other educators can only see up to fifth or sixth grade. I can see all the way from six to 12. I can actually help this. I can help you grow these students, as you said earlier, that are getting ready for that next level. I know what the next level looks like. And, and, And by doing that, I can give you a vision and I can help take this campus where other people can't who are only limited in elementary. So I will tell you, when I got feedback, that was one strong piece that sold me as, as a candidate, as a strong candidate, as a finalist, was the fact that I could take them there, right? So when you look at it, Ryan, when you go to the high school, now potential high school person, secondary person coming in front of you, what's a suggestion that you're going to give? What are some tips that you're going to think about them if they want to get into leading at the high school level? So you got to understand the seven period day, okay? which is not really something you deal with at the elementary level. We're not used to the bells. We're not used to the schedules. We're not used to, like you said, the silos. Um, at elementary level, you know, you work in your team, like your grade level team. And a lot of the times in the high school level, you know, you've got your content area and you really don't associate with much of anybody else. So I think being able to come to the secondary level and understand what it takes to kind of unite people, bring people together. And I would also say understanding, especially if you're an AP dealing with behavior and dealing with discipline and understanding. And I know you'll understand this. Consequences don't mean jack unless you get to the root cause. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, you, you, yeah, you're speaking my language now. And so, um, so two things. One, you said connect staff, right? So what are some of the things, this is your second year, but pre-pandemic, let's go back to last year, what were some of the things that you guys did as leaders to try to build campus connections? Okay. What were some so, ideas? Well, and I'm actually, this is something we did this year. Okay. Um, so normally teachers planned with their content. So math would have their uh, common planning, you know, science would have their common planning. This year, we actually did grade level. So our grade level teachers, so you might have a a science and a math and a a social studies teacher all planning together, having common planning. So it's kind of forcing them to get out and interact with other people around the building. Okay. We also this year or last year implemented a house system at the high school level. And so in that, we have various, you know, contents in houses together. And so when we have like house meetings or house challenges, they get a chance to interact as much as possible. Okay, good. I I just want our listeners to be reminded as much as we focus on connections with kids, campus connections to me, I've always said if I went into a campus and I could start where I want to start, I would do one year or at least one semester of doing nothing but connecting the adults with each other so that they can feel 
what it looks like and what it sounds like to connect with others. And then they could say, oh my God, this has really made me feel closer to this other team or, or this other department or this other person. And then we could tap into that and say, exactly. That's why we yeah. want to do this with the students now. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Okay. So when we, the, and the other thing I said, number two is because you talked about the consequences, right? And we won't really go there this episode, but just know um, you are receiving a package here in the next day of yes. the, the book, Don't Suspend Me. And it actually has a, a brand new uh, flip chart that goes with it. So I ordered both of those. Those are on their way to you. So cool. it just reminded me. Absolutely. So if we go back to this and I want to think about this, okay, we, you and I've had this conversation. So let's go there. Why in your opinion, and this is your opinion, Ryan, nobody else's. Why is it so Uh-oh. difficult? No, I'm just saying, <laughs> why is it so difficult primarily? And I tell people all this all the time. You can argue with me. This is my opinion. High school is the least fertile soil. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's less fertile than other campuses to focus and bring relationships to the center of learning. So in your opinion, in your experiences after a year and going in your second year at the high school, what are some of the things that you believe kind of get in the way of that from being a priority? So I think we are, number one, I think we are too focused on college ready. We have, and you talk about this sometimes leading in a 1980s, 90s playbook. And I am proof that we pushed way too many kids onto college. Here I am 40 years old and, you know, I've got a mound of student loan debt still that I'm paying off. And so I feel like sometimes our high schools put that college focus too much at the front. The problem I have with that is less and less of our kids are going to college. Less and less of our kids actually need a college degree. And more and more of our kids need a two-year or a vocational or a, you know, and and especially in our rural communities here in particular, only 30% of our kids go to college. And of those 30%, how many actually come back? So essentially, we are educating these kids to move off, never come back. And the other students, sometimes I feel like we get get left behind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, uh, I, I think we talked about it with Trevor Taylor, where we talked about this, or it was either here or Kim McLeod, where he talked about the highways. And I feel like what we've been doing for centuries, it seems like, is just pushing them all off one exit ramp. Shoving them. And and everybody is SAT, you know, uh, PSAT, SAT, all of college prep readiness and everything. And so like you just talked about, your data tells you that 30% of your kids take that exit. So then where are the other exit ramps for the other 70% of the kids to be successful to stay in your community or to at least go back and come back or be successful in any community that they're going to be in, right? So- I, I, I do believe that the the overuse and the overuse of that exit lane of college readiness it, for, for, for not the right kids is, is something that we're still trying to work through. So beyond that, what are some of the other things that you feel like the high school makes it the least fertile soil for relationship-centered learning? So I, I also feel very strongly that we start we treat high school kids like college kids. Like as soon as a kid moves from middle school to a freshman. Now they're supposed to get it all. They're supposed to have it all, you know, all together. 
you know, there's, they, they might look like adults, so we should treat them like adults and, and, and dang it, we're going to, we're going to hold them accountable just like we would a college kid. And, and if that means a kid has some missing work, well, they just get a zero, you know, or, um, if a kid isn't turning in some work, well, they must be lazy. And I think we forget that they're still kids dealing with adult issues a lot of the time. And we forget that. Right. Yeah. You know, man, I tell people all the time, spending 10 years at the secondary, primarily the high school. I mean, I get it. That was my entire bubble. That was my entire world. It was about accountability. It was about responsibility. It was about maturity. It was about college readiness. It was about all of those things. And that's why when I kind of flipped over into this world and I started to focus on relationships, I had to ask myself, did I, did I intentionally, there's the word I'm going to use, Ryan. Did I intentionally build relationships with the purpose of getting to know my kids and building stronger connections because that would help them be better students, better athletes, whatever. And then the answer is no, I don't think I ever thought out loud or, or had anyone telling me, you know, Hey, you know, focus on connecting with these kids or focus on the relationships or any of that stuff. It was, that was just not, it didn't even make the top 10, you know, kind of like Dave Letterman's top 10, right? Like it didn't make rebuilding relationships and connections. I joke about it being at the end of your email or, at the, you know, saying something on the, in the faculty yeah. meeting. I didn't even hear it back then. I didn't even hear it back then. So it's just so interesting that if that was my world for 10 years, I know it. We don't talk about it. It's inferred. Um, it's something that we like, we know it should be happening, but we're not going to talk about it. Um, we're not going to give you skills or, or expectations about it. And I think that's where the more I started coming in this podcast, the more I started talking with others and the more I've done this work, I was like, look, teachers, particularly particularly at the secondary level, like we said, just leave us alone. Just tell us what to do. We're really good soldiers and then just get out of our way. So until we tell them and hold them accountable to build relationships and connects with kids, they're not going to do it unless it's innate in them, unless it's something that they want to do. Right. And so that's where I believe that education in the middle of this pandemic can, can hit, can hit control all delete and say, yay, I know that we really, this sounds crazy, but what doesn't sound crazy in 2020, right? So right right now, right, we're going to go and and imagine right now, if you're a leader, you can, you can, you can finish out the first semester and you can come back 2021 and say, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I want you to focus on building relationships with these kids. And I'm sure administrators and leaders are already doing that mid pandemic. So for the first time, some educators are hearing, like I said, I never heard, don't forget we want you and have an expectation. Now, until there's accountability for that, though, some of us are going to do it and some of us are not. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, I 100% agree with you there. It, it's very easy to say put relationships first, but then in the next sentence, talk about how many kids are failing your class or, you know, what's your homework look like? What's your homework policy? What's your late work policy? But kind of to divert, divert but not really. Yeah. Like if, if this... Uh, COVID hasn't shown us anything. It's that if we don't change, our jobs will be taken over by computer softwares. And that, at, 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 and, and I know I've heard this and, and talked about this with some friends that 
you know, there was a time when the teacher and the priest were the most revered person in society because they had the knowledge. Mm -hmm. They had all of the power of the knowledge. And now we're at this place where kids can literally look up anything over anything. And so why are teachers important anymore? Because they can just get that same education online. But the thing that computers cannot do that we must do is that relationship. Mm-hmm. And especially when you look at the economics, you know, we have more kids in poverty. We have more, um, more kids coming to kindergarten, 50% of our kids coming. And so if we want to ch- close these achievement gaps, it's the relationships that are going to do it. It's not the content. Right. You, you've heard that quote I've said, right, from that girl from the conference that said, why should I content with you if you don't connect with me? Because and she, when she said it, Ryan, in front of a thousand people at this conference that we had, she didn't say it in a threatening way. It was more of like a pleading way, right? Yeah, like, sure. hey, guys, I can look up any answer to any problem and anything you got in history and anything going on on, on one of my devices. So why should I connect with you? Right. If you're not going to, why should I content with you if you're not going to connect with me? And so I just like, man, it was one of those mic drop moments when she said it, it was so surreal because it does put not, I don't think, like you said, we can, people can, um, I guess, disagree on whether it puts our jobs in jeopardy, but I believe that students want to learn from us human beings, but they want to do it in a way that says, hey, you got to see me. You got to connect with me and make this a kind of a personal, right? And not to every single kid, but you got to do a better job than what we've been doing because us as content leaders standing in, like you said, the priests and the teachers, the old style of standing in front of the room in front of your chalkboard or now your whiteboard and you are the master of all of this information and they don't know Jack and your job is just to deliver it them and they're supposed to feel humbled right? That you would give them this knowledge that you have, that, 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 that paradigm is gone. And if you, and if you're still teaching, thinking that methodology, you're stuck because I guarantee you, you are probably being more than likely unsuccessful. And, and I think that's where I just don't understand. Is it just us being stubborn? Is it us lack of acknowledgement to say, yes, we know it's important, but we're not ready to make it so important to hold our teachers accountable for it because there is no relationship support. There's no accountability for connections. And so I'm not saying that I have the answer to like, I'm not a qualitative quantitative guy. I'm not there for the data. I'm not there to create the app to, you know, to do these things. I'm telling us until you as a leader say, I expect And I demand that you build relationships with kids and this is how we're going to do it. And this is how I'm going to observe it. And these are some of the key marks that I'm going to use, whether it's informal or formal, right? But if there's an expectation and if I'm 80% of those teachers that said, just tell me what to do and you tell me to go build relationships, then I should do it. I should do it, right? I mean, am I I thinking wrong or what, what are your thoughts, Ryan? No, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think you're exactly right. I think, relationships have to be part of the equation. I think it's relationships and high expectations equal achievement. But ultimately, what are we judged on federally down? It's those stupid scores, scores, attendance, discipline, anything to do disproportionality, behavior, referrals. Which you can rate, which you can all increase with relationships. 
Well, no, I mean, I, I, well, that's what's so funny, right? Leading the district with 1,149 types of suspensions, nobody would have just said, hey, you know how you get your suspensions down? I'd be like, yeah, stop suspending kids. And they're like, no, because if you do that, trust me, we try to like do that to a certain extent. Your teachers will not, that your community, your educational community won't let you just stop assigning consequences. We, yeah. we, we attempted that. Let me just say that. So if you're an administrator out there, I'll just stop suspending kids. I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. If somebody would have said, hey, the answer is, if you will proactively build relationships and connections and put that as a, as, as one of your top, I'm not going to put a number, put it at one of your top focuses in your classrooms, AKA they're on your campuses and watch. And if you do that with fidelity and you do that with accountability and you follow through, watch what your data does. And, and, well, no, because Ryan, here's the deal. I know you've never been to our presentation. At the very end, I say, okay, we were a low performing school. We didn't meet state accountability, federal accountability. Hell, we couldn't spell the word accountability. 56% <laughs> of our kids couldn't read, right? We, we, we were 97% SES, lower, lower socioeconomic, right? All of these things, 50% uh, Hispanic, 30% African-American, 10% white, 60% turnover in core teacher, 65% mobility rate. So, we were this school that nobody wanted to work at. You had to work at because you couldn't find a job anywhere else. And we took whatever we could get for teachers. Yep, right. We weren't too selective, right? But here's what's interesting. In one single flipping year, under the current assessment that Texas still uses today because it changes, you know, periodically, yep. right? But under the current system of STAR in Texas, in one single year of a model that looks nothing like the models that I help teachers build now in, in campuses, it, it is a of a model, even though it's an upside down model where we focused on reductions of those consequences and we in lieu of reparations and, and restitution and all these other things through restorative, but we still focus on relationships. What's interesting is in one single year, we had the highest academic growth. We tied, sorry, we tied technically and got second for the highest academic growth out of every single middle school in the entire state of Texas in yes. one single year. I don't even know how many thousands of middle schools are in the state of Texas, right? It's big. I know, but so, and how is this 10% of the United States right. population? So, but think about this, Ryan, right then and there, we tied for the second growth, right? And that gave us four distinctions. And then the next year we got a top 25%. The following year, we got another top 25%. I mean, I have never worked with a school or who has brought us in and said, all right, we're going to put relationships at the center of our learning, right? And Kevin, you and your team are going to help us do it. I have never had a school district come back and say, our scores went down. Right. They're going to be like, holy crap, Fort Worth ISD. It was the first semester. We were only doing four elementaries, Ryan. And they came back and they said, uh, Kevin, we'd like to, and here's the deal. They do all the data. They have a qualitative, quantitative person who does all the data uh, surveys. They looked at all these things. And they said, uh, Kevin, we're at a 53% reduction in discipline over all four campuses, but yet we're only in third grade. And I said, it's called the contagion effect. And they said, and our academic scores on those four campuses has risen on the average of 22%. And I'm like, like, you're welcome. I mean, like, like this is when you trust the process, the outcomes come. But the reason is, and I'm going to give tons of credit, not for us, because Fort Worth had a gentleman named Chris Riddick, and he held their feet to the fire. Every single one of those people said, if it wasn't for Chris Riddick, 
holding us accountable and having a plan and executing that plan and bringing you back and supporting us and training us and doing everything he said he was going to do, there was a playbook and it was a 2000, that was a 2017 playbook. And, and I will tell you, Ryan, that's when the district, the school board said, oh my God, like, look at this growth. And then one year later, they're, they're, we, in Texas, we have a DAP, a Discipline Alternative Placement Campus, where the, the bad kids can be placed, uh, right. For, right? So their, 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 their DAP went the entire first semester of the second year without a single teacher referral. Oh, boy. Not a, for the whole semester, right? So they got all of this data back. And after one year, the school board said, how do we continue this growth? And they said, support. It's the only school district I know that opened up their pocketbook and hired six full-time educators, FTEs, to do nothing but train and support in the area of restorative practices. Because they said, wow, the data shows us that we need to be focusing more on this. So, you know, it's not rocket science, but I will tell you, Ryan, I think the fact that you and I agree is not why I brought you on the show. I brought you on the show because the fact that you are so passionate about making a difference in kids' lives, right? That is one thing that from your posts, from our conversations, from just getting to know who you are as a person. So where is that drive coming from, Ryan, that you really, really want to make a big, like above and beyond the average educator and how bad you want to make a difference in kids' lives? What's driving that force? Man, I... Quite simply, I want to change the world. Tell me how, so <laughs> like tell me, how so are we going to do it, Ryan? Tell me, how are we going to change the world? Let's go. Okay, so that's, it, it's cliche, but, but listen, like, like I'm convinced that schools have to, be, be, have to become the triage centers of their communities. Okay. Like, we have communities that are, especially here in rural America, that are hurting, you know, that have lost their business, that have lost their tax base, that um, learned helplessness is an epidemic. Um, If COVID wasn't here, we'd still have learned helplessness. And to me, I want to see schools that are the epicenters of, you know, have health centers. I want them to have dentists. I want them to have mental health. You know, I I want them to have GED classes on site for their parents to come in. Um, I want them to have laundromats so that our parents can come in and volunteer. And while they're volunteer, they can wash their clothes. Like, I just, I think that our schools can be those places that changes our community. And I am intrigued with the, the notion, something called that I'm calling the hope coefficient. Okay. And, you know, we have this ACE score where, you know, you can, you can measure kids' trauma. But I think there's a way that you can also measure their hope. And when we can figure that out and figure out that relationships raises hope, hope raises achievement, achievement raise, uh, um, erases learned helplessness, now you've got a community that's profoundly changed. And it literally is as simple as taking a minute to talk to kids talk to parents and find out, you know, what, what can we do for you? Yeah. So when you miss it, ACEs, right? Adversity, childhood experiences. So, yeah. so what you described is kind of like what they had in what Walla Walla, Washington and paper tigers. Did, are you yeah. familiar with that documentary? Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely saw the benefit of having mental health along with, you know, Dennis and, and everything else there, the GEDs, 
So, so what are some of the barriers that you believe are getting in the way from happening to make that, that, that hope coefficient come into place? Well, I think we're still based on this, uh, this notion that, um, school is the way it's been for 150 years that kids should just come in and sit down and be quiet and give the teacher respect. And, um, and that's just how it is. The problem is society is profoundly different now. And my wife and I say this all the time. Like, like we see our kids an hour to two hours a day. They're with our schools and they're with their teacher. And teachers have such a huge role in changing the lives of kids. It's got to be way bigger than just come in, open your book. Like, like our schools should be teaching the social emotional. Our schools should become, it should be teaching the empathy. Um, our schools should be, you know, doing all those things that family structures used to do. Mm-hmm. But let's be really honest. They don't have time to do anymore. Right. But we still are on that. And I, and I like Henry Ford style teaching. We're still on that assembly line instruction. We're also, I think we're, you know, especially at the secondary level, we still think all kids should come in and graduate in four years. No, I think that's malarkey. It could be seven and a half years to finish college. Bartending. Yeah, bartending. Yeah, absolutely. Part time. I was like, you know, people are like, what took you so long? I'm like, life? I had a kid, a job. I was doing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, and, and, and after, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. No, it just, it just like you said that I was like, I, a lot of people were like, well, what's, you know, when a lot of people that I went to high school with that were already graduated within four years or less, right. We're all like, what are you still doing in college? I'm like, life, life. I mean, I took a year off. That's how, that's, what's funny is I, t- I was in student teaching and, I, and, and <laughs> right. I walked away from education in the middle of student teaching. Yeah, had a had a breakdown and walked away from student teaching. Went to Colorado. That's where Road Bulls got into sheet metal insulation. Oh, yeah. um, lived with my brother, my oldest brother. Uh, kicked him out of my house because I caught him doing drugs. But but yeah, man, I took a year of the. Uh, it wasn't even a sabbatical. I don't know what the heck I was doing. Had a bad breakup with a fiance. Uh, just walked away from student teaching. Walked away from everything, and then came back and said, "Okay, I, I need to get back into this." Right. So life happened. So it took me seven and a half years to finish college. That's why I like some of our school districts. I know here in San Antonio, they have an alternative education center where kids can go if they're pregnant or having to work two jobs or having to do something else. It still gives them a route or that exit ramp to get that degree to help them be successful in life. Is that kind of what you're talking about, giving those options? That's exactly what I'm talking about. We have a large majority of our students that are a source of income for their family. You know, when you look at Maslow's hierarchy, I'm sorry, but chemistry is not on that hierarchy. You know, earning $7.25 an hour, that is on that hierarchy. And, and why should we stand in the way of these kids trying to get their, their needs fulfilled just so that they can take, well, basically, so we can check a box that the state tells us to check? I, you're, you're preaching. <laughs> you're preaching. You're preaching. I, I to tell my... Guy. Back to something you said, I tell my students when they come in that life is, for about five years, I uh, juvenile, uh, sorry, I mentored juvenile offenders through um, Celebrate Recovery, which is a substance abuse 
program. And I used to always tell them, and I still tell them, life is the hardest thing you ever have to do. And if anybody tells you different, they're on drugs or they're an idiot. And to me, school has got to play a bigger part. So, so then what are, what are people like you and me, what can we do to play our part? I mean, I'm willing, I'm like you, Ryan, I have the heart. I, I tell people all the time, they're like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a difference maker and a disruptor. I just want, I, that's all I want to be. I want to make a difference and I want to disrupt crap because yes. what we're doing is not working. And right. all I want to do is get in front of people. And that's why I created this show, get in front of people and tell them, listen up people. It's not working. And, and I don't want to debate with people. I just no. want to, I want to, I want to just, I just want to sometimes um, spread the, spread the good news that, you know what, there's something else out there of relationships. There's something out there, connections, and there's another way to do things. And in working in over a hundred different school districts, I can actually say, and it works. Yeah. You know, that was hard for me, much like earlier when you said, Hey, you come to the high school and you're like, look, guys, I don't know anything about your content. I know teaching. I know good teaching, right? But I may not know your content, right. but I know good teaching. And it was really hard at first, Ryan, to, to ring the restorative bell, dancing across the Texas, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, and people were like, and, and we were calling it restorative discipline at the time. And so it was like RD, RD, RD. And I drank the Kool-Aid. I drank the whole dang pitcher. Um, I, I, my first business name was RD360 because RD, restorative discipline was done in a circle. And I was like, ooh, that represents it. But then I started running into the realism of it and said, wait a minute, the word discipline means consequences, punishment, negative. I'm like, that's not where I want people to go. So I got to change the name. And I didn't create restorative practices, but it was out there. Yeah. But I said, oh, but restorative justice is out there too. And I said, oh, no, because in Texas, we're a very conservative state that has a really negative connotation on crime. And so therefore, no. And, and, and I've just learned, no matter what you call it, no matter what you want to name it, if you identify putting relationships, connections, whatever you want to call it, when you put it at the center of learning, your classroom transforms. And when you're a principal, have you ever had a teacher that has struggled? And then you're like, let me, I, I, I'm going to, and, and it's not to like show off on another one, but I'm like, hey, I wanna, I'm going to have you go into Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so's room and just kind of observe. Have you ever had one of those teachers do that, Ryan? Multiple, multiple times. Yes, sir. It, and, and it's really hard because that teacher goes in and goes, what? You know, yeah, what and, are they doing? That, what, what are they doing that I'm not doing? And, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's like, it's so hard because we're all, we all don't innately naturally build relationships and connect with people. So it's getting people to say, um, and I have people close to me. I mean, I have, I've had people on my team, Ryan, that I'm like, Hey, if you have a wall up and it's hard to get to know you with us, I think it's going to be hard for people to get to know you. It's going to be really, really hard for you to work in relationship-centered learning if people, if you can't build relationships with people. But they're like, but they're like, I don't see what I don't see what the problem is. I'm like, yeah, because they're you're oblivious to this wall of like you're just sending off this aura that I don't want to connect with people. And you're like, that's not what I mean. I'm like, I'm not saying you're doing it intentionally. That means you have to intentionally do something different to break that wall down. Would you agree with that? I would completely agree with you. So and how do you help teachers do that? How do you help teachers when they struggle with that? Just 
teaching them, you know, I try to, I try to send out different ways for them to connect with their kids. When I was at the elementary level, we did morning meetings every day. And, um, that was so powerful, so powerful. We'd all sit in a circle. I taught my kids how to give compliments. I taught how to give affirmations. Um, we solved problems. You know, if, I, if a kid had a problem, they brought it to the circle and the circle would discuss the problem. We'd come, we'd come up with solutions. Kid would try it for a week. We'd come back together and see if it worked. Mm-hmm. That was huge. I talked to um, our people about doing just, just like one of my, one of my guys does these silly bell ringers. So at the very beginning of class, he asked these just silly questions. So would you rather fight a hundred horse-sized elephants or one elephant-sized horse? And it's just to get the kids talking. Like it doesn't have to be anything super like, and it doesn't even need to be in your lesson plans. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. Like just, let's just talk. I know. And here's the problem, Ryan. And I know you've listened to these episodes, but Joe Beckman called it out when he said, right, ordinary versus extraordinary. Amen. And, and, but what he said was, is Kevin, not everybody is like you and not everybody is like me. So, 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 my, and so what you just described, Ryan, for those teachers can create anxiety. Yeah. Can create the things that we talked about at the beginning of the show, Right. And so what I try to tell them, and this is my words of wisdom, listen, however you feel is exactly how you should feel. If you don't believe relationships are important, there's no way I can convince you. My job is not to convince you, nor convert you, nor condemn you, right? I talked about this with Jeff Prickett. I said, my job is to convict because if your heart pumps and feels like maybe I should get to know my kids, then that's the only way, in my opinion, I can get human beings to move the needle. Right. But I tell them much like you said earlier, you said something that for most teachers works opposite. And here's why, Ryan, you said it doesn't even have to be in your lesson plans. And then for a long time, Ryan, I even said that you can just, you know, and then I started realizing for those, let's just say large majority of teachers that don't know how to do this and, and aren't structured this way, they have to structure it in their lesson plans. Right. And, 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 and I didn't get this. So please, I'm, I'm not contradicting you. This was an aha for me. And I'm just using it as a segue. I would say, you don't even have to put your lesson plans. And I would always, and, and, and then I started realizing like, no, you do. Because then I came up with this phrase one time and I said it at a training and they loved it. It said, you can't wing relationships, right? So they're like, yeah. So, so for me and you, I can wing it. I'm good at it, better at it now than I was back then. So I can wing it. But for those teachers, they can't. So therefore they have to plan it. I need you to know at 1022, at the beginning of the bell, you're going to be asking him this question and you got to have that question prepared because for those teachers, until it becomes second nature, until it becomes the way that they start to integrate it into the fabric of their classroom, morning meeting is going to seem odd for them, right? And when you describe morning meeting, you have to understand, Ryan, I would say a large majority of secondary, aka high school people, what you just described, just rolled their eyes. Oh, in. for sure. I mean, do you, do you get that though? When we do that? Cause I'm a secondary, I, we, I was those people that would roll my eyes when you just said, are you kidding me? Sit in a circle, yeah. solve our problems. We ain't got time for that. That, that, that is so elementary. And, and what's interesting is, 
is until I come into a classroom and facilitate a conversation or an activity or something that builds community for them, they're, uh, it, they need to see it in action. But here's the deal, not on a video and not with your class, Ryan, they need to see it with their class and yeah. their own ideas with their, with, and their ideas. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, so this can be done. Right. And I was in California and a teacher was like, you know, our class is always on. And he, this was his words. It's always on fire or flooding. That was his two analogies. Right. And I was like, okay, great. So here's what I had for him though. I said, when you find that one moment that your class is not on fire or not flooding, what are you going to do to build a relationship to connect with kids? He's like, I don't know. And I said, exactly. Okay. See, when you find that moment, you won't know what to do with it because you're going to wing it. And then when you wing it, it's like winging a diet or anything else. It, it, doesn't, doesn't, stick. it doesn't go well and it doesn't stick. And if it doesn't go well, then what happens, Ryan, is it's, it's a negative effect on my amygdala. And then I'm going to uh, oh, do mark it. it down in the negative category for that opportunity. And then, it's, and then a few negatives in there, I'm going to drop it like it's hot, which is why I believe I am slow to circle now versus quick to circle because in my opinion, circle is like the elephant of restorative practices, which is why I created a 60 second relay break, which is a turn and talk, a two minute connection where you just stand and share and a 90 second spark plan, three tools that have nothing to do with the circle, have nothing to do with trauma, nothing to do with deep ended conversations and all be done in less than two minutes. Those were built by educators for educators so that they could help teachers mark in the positive category. Oh, that was not too bad. Oh, that was, you know, I, I learned some things. And, and if it, it only took a brief moment of their class versus 10, 15, 20, or 30 minutes longer. Sure. What's your thoughts on that? No, I think that's, that's amazing, especially at the secondary level where, you know, you have these 50 minute classes, you're trying to get as much uh, content in. And, and at this district where kids are only in school two days a week, you're trying to push five days worth of content into two days. And so teachers are even more stressed out. So if you can just tell them, Hey, just give me 60 seconds of class period. Now that's all, that's all you got to do. Right. To me, that's way more manageable. Well, that's what we try to build them. So as we're starting to wind down, here's the deal. You're in the middle of a pandemic. What is something that you are taking away from this school year, the first semester so far leading a high school campus in the middle of a pandemic? What's, what's the takeaway that we can hear from Ryan? So I'm taking away, to be quite honest, everybody is in the same, same boat. All of the stress that we are feeling, kids are feeling, parents are feeling, teachers are feeling, and what can we do to take some stuff off of our teachers' plates? Um, what can we do to take some stuff off of our parents' plates? You know, I, I'm a parent. I've got a 17-year-old daughter who every day is in charge of an eight, a 9-year-old and a 6-year-old trying to do their virtual learning. Um, and it kills me to have to do that. So I understand from the parent standpoint where parents are at. And as a school, I want us to be able to reach out to those parents and let them know what can we do to kind of lessen the stress. You know, maybe right now, hit, trying to hit all of those state standards isn't the most important thing right now. We will move on if I don't get all of those standards taught, you know, right now, the SEL, the, the social and emotional, the, um, the connections, um, the empathy to me, that stuff should be at the forefront 
right now, because I, I truly think if we do that, when we come out the other side, education is going to look drastically different, but it's going to look exactly the way it needs to be. So are you guys able to do anything to give an example to our listeners to put connections at the forefront that you guys are focused or having a different focus this year? Yeah. So something I do every Monday is I send out a what's on your mind, Google, Google form to all of my kids and I let them know it's 100% anonymous. And I just, just tell them, just tell me what's on your mind. And if you want to talk, leave your name and we will talk. Um, I have things, you know, teachers, kids, you know, complaining about teachers. I have kids that are just talking about they're hungry, but then I've also had um, DCBS referrals because of kids telling me things that are going on at home. Mm -hmm. I've had, we've done threat assessments because of kids telling me they're suicidal. It has been hugely, hugely powerful just asking kids, how are they doing? Because they want to tell you. Something we are also doing, I make it a point every single day, you know, every school has those, that list of kids that you're worried about, however you get them. Um, I get them through Infinite Campus, um, their early warning tool. But I make a list of them and every single day I check in on them. Every single day they are here. I just ask them, how you doing? Do you want to talk? What's going on? And um, I feel like that that really helps Mm. substantially. And then the last thing I'm going to say, every week I have a random name generator and randomly draw up two kids from every grade level. And I share a Google sheet and all of the Staff is encouraged to leave positive vibes about that kid. And I pull the kid into my office. We call home and I brag on the kid to his face. And then the parent also hears it as well. And, and um, it just lets the kid know that we see them. Like you say, value, seen, and heard. It lets them know that they are seen and they are valued. And I guess, I know I said that was the last one, but this very last one, I'm working on a project right now. I have asked all of our students to tell me who's your one, which, which one of your teachers do you have the most connection with and why? And I've been taking videos of them saying that and then sharing them with our staff so that they can see the value of those connections. Mm. Brother, I think that's a good place to end. You, you've given us, our listeners, some things to specifically take away that they could go back and either enhance what they're doing or, or implement for the first time. So any other message that we didn't, any other thing that we did not get a chance to cover today that you want to make sure that people get to hear, here's your chance, brother. What do you got? Okay. So I need anybody that has experience doing this. Um, I have had it on my heart to start a nonprofit primarily dealing with those kids that have the worst case of learned helplessness in the high school, those kids that are pegged to be dropouts, um, those kids that have a super low hope coefficient. I am wanting to create a nonprofit that can um, tie them with somebody in the community that has a career or an organization that does not require post-secondary skill training. I want to, to, to put these people together in a room. I want this professional to let this kid sign on the dotted line that I will give you a job the minute you graduate high school. And then I want to pair with a bank that will give some money, like a starter account. And then I want to work with a landlord that will give this kid 
three to six months worth of free rent so that this kid can start off with success. But then also on top of that, some mentoring, some type of, whether it's the guy that's going to hire him, whether it's a, a mentor within the school, it's something to hold this kid's hand until he gets to that finish line because he doesn't have it or she doesn't have it. Absolutely. So Ryan, how can people get a hold of you? All right. So I will give you my personal email. Um, it's Ryan Scott, 1981 at yahoo.com. Um, I will also give you my cell phone number. You are more than welcome to call me. Um, it's two seven zero eight six zero zero two one one. Um, look, look, I want to change the world and, you know, um, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Someday I hope you'll join us and the world will live as one. My man, John Lennon said that. Brother man, what a great note to end on. Hey man, I just want to thank you for your heart, your heart of an educator. We always say the educator heart is bigger than others, right? Along with our bladders. But I will <laughs> tell you is, is I had to, couldn't have, had to throw that joke in there. Uh, but no, seriously, Ryan, your heart for kids is not, it's just so apparent in your 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 desire to change and to be a difference maker it's 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 brewing and i can just see it i can feel it i wanted to bring you on the show that others can kind of get that and sense from you and i'm hoping that we will have listeners that will reach out to you or to me and find out how we can join forces to make exactly what you just described for those kids, because those—that's yeah. what those kids need, Ryan. I'm th- I'm thankful that the kids that you are with right now have you and the support staff that you have around you guys. Thank you for being an educator. Thank you for staying in education. Thank you for all that you do, brother. And thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.